In this episode of the Church and State Show, we're going to be talking about the no campaign. What can we be saying better? Can we be avoiding some of the things that we are saying? Are we avoiding things that we should be said? These are important questions because we care and we want the best outcomes for ourselves and our fellow Australians. This is going to be an interesting episode, unlike something you've ever heard before. This is the Church and State Show. And I'm Dave Pello. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Well, welcome back. In just a few moments, I'm going to be introducing uh, my guest for this episode, the wonderful and very sober thinker, Dr. Anthony Dillon. Uh, we're going to be uh, having a chat to him about his observations on the things that we could be doing better on our side of the, the uh, great debate about the referendum that's coming up, whether or not uh, we should say yes to the Prime Minister's question or no. That actually leads me to an interesting thought I, I want to clear up. I've seen the rumours and numbers of people have been asking me that there's going to be some kind of trick duality to the question in the referendum. And if we answer yes to one and no to the other, then uh, there's going to be some kind of trick or ambush in the, what laws can be implemented thereafter. Let's be perfectly clear. Everything that the Prime Minister proposes to do could be legislated right now. He doesn't need any special tricks up his sleeve or, or you know, shell games with what's going on. Uh, secondly, there is no fraud, there is no con. The referendum question has been legislated. It can't be changed. There is only one question and there is only one answer required. Yes or no. It's very straightforward and uh, I think most right-thinking people will be answering no to that question. So please, if you see any uh, rumours and conspiracies about the question to the referendum being changed, um, dismiss it. Dismiss it out of hand. It's scaremongering, baseless, and has no grounding in fact whatsoever. But uh, I want to actually talk um, about something that uh, Gary Johns, apparently he's the, the infamous racist who spoke at this last weekend's CPAC conference, and he had the temerity and the audacity to say um, that black Australians are responsible for the choices they've made. Uh, his speech at CPAC was based very largely on an article he published just a few days prior in the Spectator Australia magazine. And I'm going to read that with you now, and uh, then we're going to have a chat about that. Maybe I'll pause halfway through to insert my own comments, but uh, we'll see how we go. I'll try and give it to you in total. You can find this article if you have a subscription to Spectator Australia, and I do recommend they are a publication worth supporting. Um, this was published on the 19th of August, and it is entitled Vote Yes for Cake and Coke and No Future by Gary Johns. And, I, and he writes, This week, 
Aboriginal children will walk into the store at Warburton in Western Australia and purchase the typical fare of an Aboriginal diet. On the same latitude as the border of Northern Territory and South Australia, Warburton is as remote as it gets, but cake, Coca-Cola and energy bars are all available and expensive. For adults, throw in smokes. These are typical purchases. Week in and week out, eating and drinking junk foods, not working and having no purpose in life other than consumption is a death sentence. And then there is the violence by children, women and men. My mate in Warburton texted this, quote, 8pm at night here and six-year-olds are wandering the streets, throwing fireworks into our and others' yards. Why? Because the six-year-olds told us to get effed because we were effing white trash seas. Six-year-olds, what hope is there for them? Another day in paradise. Two women fist fighting and hitting each other over the head with Coke bottles. Roll on my plane on Tuesday, please. Shop was open for an hour today before a local man ran in with an iron bar and started smashing the shelves and walls, calling us effing white trash seas. Closed now for the day. We fly out in an hour. End quote. No voice, no committee, no treaty, no truth-telling, no macarada can save these people. Aboriginal people are a modern people. In Warburton, mobile phones are commonplace. Electricity keeps the food and drink cool. Without the paraphernalia of the modern world, there would be no Warburton. It would have closed decades ago. Aboriginal people rely on modern means to survive. Most have no idea how it is made. This is cruel. And yet, too many legal professional associations are for the voice. Medical professional associations are for the voice. The Australian Academy of Science is for the voice. Why is it that these professional associations would cast their lot with an industry that refuses to release its own most vulnerable people into the open society? What is it that keeps these poor souls locked into an ancient and ignorant world? The very antithesis of the professionals, the brilliant and trained minds, condemn their objects of concern to a life of ignorance and violence. Not only professionals are being taken for a ride, but shareholders are also being taken for a ride, as are donors, trade unionists, sports fans and taxpayers. Egotistical professional leaders, CEOs, charity leaders, trade union leaders, sports administrators and politicians, foolish enough to forsake their duty and send other people's money to the referendum, yes case, are doing harm. A majority of their members and funders are against the proposition. They are not as foolish as their leaders. Leaders who think that a solution to Aboriginal despair lies in permanent government intervention in the lives of those few Aborigines who are failing in this modern society should think again. It is not all about government. Changing the constitution will not get children to attend school. Changing the constitution will not stop the grog or the abuse or the awful habits that cause early death. The task of leaders is to have every child understand how it is that the mobile phone and electricity that makes their food and shelter available 
comes into being. Government may be the provider, but it is not the maker. Government makes nothing. It merely covers the indignity of woeful ignorance. Why do governments refuse to teach their citizens how their lives have been degraded to the point of begging? This referendum proposal is no gracious gift. It is stealing the future of these people. It is an abandonment of leadership. Recognition via the voice is not reconciliation. Aboriginal parents face an awful dilemma. To keep children safe on country, away from the worst of modern life, grog and drugs, but in doing so, condemn their children to live restricted lives with poor education, few prospects and a poor diet. The great lie of this referendum is that choices can be avoided. Somehow, 24 select delegates in Canberra will solve the parents' dilemma. They will not. They will continue to mask the choice and, in default, make the choice for them. A slow death on country rather than to break free with the hope, with the help of their families and guidance from outsiders on how to handle the wider world. There is no love for Aborigines in this referendum proposal, just ego. The Aboriginal people at Warburton are radically disabled. They are self-determining all right, sitting on country, speaking language and dying early. And CEOs and the Prime Minister think that this is a good idea. They must do because their solution is to change nothing. Not to learn how to create value, not to adapt, but to wait. Government monies as a permanent way of life are poison. Some thousands of naive supporters of the Yes campaign think it's a good idea. Well, think again. Emotion and faux morality are no substitute for a steely focus on what a person needs to make it in this world. A world not of their making, but one they inherited. Wishing it were otherwise is no substitute for action. Would any leader in the eastern and southern capitals tolerate the behaviour tolerated in Warburton and a hundred other failing communities in northern and western Australia in their backyard? Leaders beware. This referendum has already failed. It has failed to unite Australia. A razor-thin win would be a failure. It has failed to unite Australia. A razor-thin loss would cause resentment. A huge loss, which is in prospect, will create an opportunity to reconsider known paths to success. Leaders, put your ego aside and think, what did it take to raise my child? You know the answer, writes Gary Johns. Mentoring, discipline and love. This referendum disdains all three. And that was Gary Johns writing in The Spectator on Friday morning, the 19th of August. Well, what do you think? Uh, I'd love to hear your comments. You can leave them beneath where you're watching this episode on The Good Source or on ADH TV. Uh, it reminds me of a very good book that I've read uh, by black African-American commentator Thomas Sowell, a brilliant intellectual economist and uh, researcher. And after doing a great deal of research, as he does with all of his projects, he wrote a book called Black Rednecks, White Liberals, a book I read many years ago. And I've looked up uh, a quote from it. My own copy is out on loan at the moment, um, but 
uh, I found this um, writing in, in a uh, book review that was written about it. And uh, the writer of this book review says that the book starts with a quote which at face value would be assumed to have been aimed at black people. The quote beginning this book says, quote, these people are creating a terrible problem in our cities. They can't or won't hold a job. They refuse to accommodate themselves to any kind of decent life, end quote. The book reviewer says that this quote was put there deliberately in order to highlight the reader's potential biases and assumptions. When it was revealed that the quote was not aimed at black people, but poor white Southerners in America, uh, that it knew he, would, he knew he would change his preconceived ideas. What Thomas Sowell describes in Black Rednecks, White Liberals, is uh, that, that interesting turn of phrase, Black Rednecks. It seems like a phrase that's uh, back to front. Rednecks are whites. And uh, the fact is that he, that phrase was originally invented to describe the mostly Scottish, but also some British immigrants to the southern states of America. Um, the, the immigration from England and Scotland to the American South, uh, despite the fact that Scotland had started improving, look back in the 17th and 18th centuries, Scotland was a very backward people. The backward culture of the Scottish people who emigrated to the southern states of America, and they became known as rednecks. Listen to how he describes their culture. The immigrants, especially regarding hygiene, had started getting better, but they were fairly low in their hygienic self-discipline and behavior. But many of the same negative attitudes that were part of the Scottish culture back before they immigrated, they brought with them to the southern states of America, the redneck culture. This culture was made up of things which were unbeneficial to the individual and society at large. These included things like hyper-masculinity, an aversion to work, proneness to violence, a neglect of education, sexual promiscuity, drunkenness, and a general disregard for human life. Not only was unnecessary violence commonplace, but had societal improval. Now, that was Scottish culture, and it became redneck culture in the southern states. And when the, um, the slaves were freed in America, they adopted various, they came to adopt the culture around them, which is where Thomas Sowell comes up with the phrase black rednecks. Now, what he's talking about is a transplant of this culture, which uh, evolved differently to Scotland back at home in Scotland. The Scottish culture advanced. They became capable of something Thomas Sowell calls cultural embarrassment, where they looked at themselves and their behavior and said, this isn't good enough. We need to be embarrassed. We need to do better, um, not because we're ashamed of who we are, but because we're ashamed of where we are. We need to mature. We need to advance. And the Scottish culture did do that, whereas the redneck culture didn't do that. And so you, you came to be able to compare the relative advances or lack of advances in the Scottish immigrants and the Scottish nationals, uh, which was very, very interesting. Now, I think this is relevant to the voice debate because it's apparent that most Aboriginal Australians are not at all backward. They are well integrated. 
and the very large majority of them have great success at uh, life, technology, health, uh, personal responsibility, and socially acceptable behavior in, in a modern society. It's the one in five who experience a gap in outcomes that we need to say, well, what are the solutions for this? And, and somebody who I think lots of people are making really good observations that why don't we just ask the four in five Aboriginals who are succeeding and doing marvelously at life, uh, why don't we ask them what they're doing well and encourage the one in five to make similar decisions and, and uh, share that secret of success with them? Well, enough of me yabbering on. It's time to bring Anthony Dillon into the uh, conversation. Anthony, thank you so much for joining the Church and State Show. How are you today? Good, thanks, Dave. Good to be with you. Let's start with Gary John's article um, talking about um, the, the choices that are essentially being taken away or ignored um, by Aborigines not experiencing uh, the same outcomes as average Australians. Uh, what are your thoughts or, or notes um, on what he wrote? Look, uh, typical toughness from, from Gary, as of, we've come to expect. But, yeah, some hard truths in there, and we do need to have tough conversations. And, you know, the, the last part of the article, again, I'll just read that. Leaders, put your ego aside and think, what did it take to raise my child? You know the answer, mentoring, discipline and love. Uh, the referendum disdains all three. So I think that's quite powerful. Uh, we should mm. be reflecting on that. Mentoring, discipline and, and love. Um, yeah. your, uh, your mate, um, whose name escapes me right now, but you'll, you'll, um, I may remember, but you'll remind me the second I didn't. He, he drew that cartoon, um, yeah, which Bill has Bill Leake, thank you. Um, and, and you know the cartoon. I'll, I'll, it's on screen right now. The, the cartoon where a uh, police officer is um, asking an Aboriginal man to um, take responsibility for his child and, and the Aboriginal man says, um, Radio, what's his name then? How big a problem is the lack of mentoring in uh, the Aboriginal communities which are experiencing a gap in outcome, whatever number we, we put that at? Um, Gary Johns would suggest it's about 20%. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, certainly it is a big problem. And, you know, I'm not going to tar every community the same, but we do see, you know, very often in remote communities where people don't have the um, the opportunities that most of us take for granted you know, those that include those Indigenous people who are doing successful, where they've had plenty of opportunities, um, either they were born into them like me or they escaped bad circumstances to get into good circumstances, lived in a good environment, got an education, job, that sort of thing. Um, and we know that many don't um, have those sorts of opportunities. And for as long as they don't have those opportunities, there's going to be a problem. They're, they're not going to be disciplined. They're not going to see good role models, um, that sort of thing, yeah. How do we practically help that? Uh, I mean, it feels incredibly patronising um, to suggest that um, a bunch of Australians, I guess the majority who, who are doing well, need to teach other people how to mentor and, and protect their children uh, growing up in part. Um, cultural values of personal responsibility, hard work and... Uh, and the, the kind of 
um, personal behaviours which are conducive uh, to long life, good health and uh, career satisfaction. For those communities where they're doing it tough, so we do need to focus on those ones where the disadvantage is greatest and that does require employment and education, which we all know, that can be very challenging in some of these communities, especially for generations where you haven't, where they haven't seen work or work has not been normal. So, you know, it's not just a matter of, of setting up a job, you know, uh, putting in a department store or a garage and putting people into those jobs. They do need to be made job ready, be given the skills, and not all in the community will take up the opportunities, but some some will. So we make these opportunities available. And this is, of course, for those communities which are viable. Okay, Now, someone like Warren Mundine, who's more knowledgeable than me on remote communities, has said that every community he's ever been to, he believes has potential. Okay, I, um, I, I have some doubts. I think there might be some communities where you can't, and we have to have a sensitive exit strategy for the people. But if we go with on, on that saying, note, yeah. uh, just just on that note, I mean, I was I graduated high school in a modest size country town, um, and I've lived in a very small country town for a number of years, um, of you know less than three thousand people, um, and and I, I did the last years of high school, and and in fact met my wife and got married in a modest size country town of triple that, nearly ten thousand people. And uh, it only took a matter of months for us to decide to leave that town specifically because of its lack of future prospects uh, for us. Now, if if I had different skill sets, I I might have been totally fine to stay there and and make a living and career and raise my family there. But simply for the economic opportunities, um, it seemed like a dead end. Um, And so we moved to Brisbane where we had some uh, people that we knew and, and a, a softer landing than any other city in Australia. Um, it seems to me that that when it, it's not a radical proposition that uh, you might have to leave some of these remote communities to experience the same outcomes as mm-hmm. people living in metropolitan areas with a, a lot of public services. Sure. And certainly, you know, people like Stan Grant has spoken about this before. His father, he speaks of his father having to move the family around to where he could get work. Uh, and certainly mm-hmm. there are many insightful Indigenous people like that. But there's certainly some who, you know, just generation after generation seeing parents sit there and uh, where disharmony was the norm and there was no need for work and that sort of thing. That can make it difficult for people to see opportunities available elsewhere. Uh, For those communities that that are viable, we should invest in them, get the people job ready, um, help help people get those jobs, those people who do want to get those jobs in, in communities where there is enterprise there, give them the support they need and just hope that, well, one, the kids will see this as normal, and for those yep. adults in the community who don't want to come on board, um, you know, they they will not have the same benefits as those who do get jobs. 
And, and that's, that's a difficult concept to communicate in our society where we don't want to leave anybody behind. And we want to lift up those people who are the most behind, the most disadvantaged, mm -hmm. the most economically vulnerable, uh, the poorest, the homeless. Um, but when people have made those decisions to be there, uh, we're in a society that, that assumes responsibility for them. And so we have this infinite loop of people who are welfare dependent and yeah. are being enabled to stay welfare dependent by a big welfare society. Okay, well, just on that question of the loop, hopefully in a community where there's an investment in jobs and enterprise, of those adults who don't or are not ready to get involved, I'm hoping at least that their kids can see the other adults who might be uncles and aunts and friends and that sort of thing get a job and hopefully also see some improvement in the lives of those the children of adults who have jobs and at least they might want to um, get a job or you know study and work in school graduate then get a job so you know there may yeah. be some people in the current generation we've yeah. lost but hopefully we can rescue those in the next generation Frederick Douglass, um, perhaps even tougher than Gary Johns, uh, has a quote, and maybe I should look it up. Um, maybe you already know it. Um, but he, and I'm going to butcher it, but uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm trying to do a, a fair a paraphrase as I can. But uh, Frederick Douglass, for those people watching, listening, uh, is a, a very famous and celebrated um, African-American abolitionist who campaigned against slavery. Now, uh, he essentially said something on, along the lines of uh, the bad apples in his race that fall from the tree should not be stuck back on the tree uh, with, with artificial means like, uh, I'm going to say, sticky tape, staples and nails, um, that essentially they must be allowed to fall from the tree and rot on the ground. Now, it's a, it's a very cruel sounding description but they're Frederick Douglass's words as faithfully as I, as I can um, represent them. To me, that, that sounds like something I don't want to do. I certainly don't want to see um, is, is these people abandoned. But at the same time, uh, is it the right thing to do to force people um, to, to make more mature decisions? Yeah, look, not so much force, but uh, motivate given incentives to... It's quite possible, as I was saying with the kids, if they see the, the parents of other kids doing well in a job, it's quite possible those adults who aren't working, aren't work, aren't work ready, could look at some of the other adults, sometimes cousins, mm. uncles, brothers, sisters, and think, okay, I would like to do that a little bit. And so even if you give them a job, a simple job as um, gardening, sweeping the floor or something like that, that success could uh, enable them to be take on other, learn other skills perhaps yeah um, but yes yeah. you know there were, in any society there will always be some people in the current generation that won't be job ready um, so we give opportunities and for those that we miss for those apples who drop off the tree we just could hope that the, the next generation we have less people dropping off the tree yeah uh... Yeah, it, it grieves me to even talk about it like that. The thought of of people perishing and rotting uh, apart from the rest of society, um, and even if it is 
a result of, of choices that they've made. And, and sometimes, I mean, how many people are there in these remote communities who are, are handicapped by choices other people have made, uh, victims of, of violence yeah. and sexual abuse? Um, you know, it's, um, I, I'm certainly, if anybody's listening, I'm certainly not advocating a callous disregard uh, for, mm. for vulnerable um, people. Um, but this is the great dilemma, I think, is that we're, we're talking about a bureaucratic solution um, to what I think can be fairly called, uh, perhaps, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong and you disagree, uh, a cultural problem. A bureaucratic solution to a cultural problem is not going to solve anything. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and when we say cultural problem, we mean like a bit of a mismatch between traditional culture or aspects of traditional culture and that sort of modern world that uh, we live in today that they have access to, where in many of these communities, you know, leading a traditional life just doesn't happen for the vast majority. Well, you know, when I say cultural problem, I, I do mean um, cultural immaturities. And, yes. and I don't mean it in a racially superior way because my ancestors um, displayed this and had to grow out of it. We're talking about the Scottish rednecks who displayed an aversion to work, a proneness to violence, neglect of education, promiscuity, drunkenness, and a general disregard for human life. These are cultural problems. And yeah. some of those um, are observable in, in the people that we're trying to help. Um, yeah, and, sure. And it's a tough and, one, and you know, tough decisions. It is a tough one because what I'm advocating is a level of embarrassment, not at your identity and the way God made you, um, and and if it helps, if it helps to sort of, um, I guess, put us all in the same boat. I think uh, the most advanced, successful uh, white technically sophisticated um, white culture in Australia has other cultural problems. We have a, a great um, uh, givenness to promiscuity. Uh, we call it pride marches. Um, and we uh, sacrifice our children on an industrial scale um, in nice sanitised clinics and, and call it some kind of advancement as well. Now, these are things that we should be deeply embarrassed about. It's not like um, we, we've got uh, no problems at all or, or areas of immaturity. But um, I, I think there's some obvious gaps here and, and my concern is, A, how do we talk about this if this is the real solution? And B, um, how do we avoid getting distracted from real solutions to the real problems when government is constantly suggesting that more of itself at ever-increasing um, servings is is the solution that we really need all along. Now, it does require tough conversations because tough solutions are needed. Bad behaviour needs to be uh, called out. Certainly in these communities, give as much uh, awareness raising or education. Uh, when I say education, I don't mean school education, but I mean education about what is appropriate lawful behaviour mm. in the modern world and that um, letting people know that all cultures advance and evolve and as indeed many of Aboriginal people today have in their cultural practice 
And indeed, uh, indeed, that's where the I guess the credit goes is is to the 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 Scottish descendants and the Aboriginal descendants who have overcome um, those cultural problems um, that were observable um, in previous generations. Uh, You know, congratulations. Now, how can we lift up our fellow men um, to to that kind of of uh, maturity, social maturity as well? Yeah. So, like I was saying, if you can give the invitation to adults in these communities, you know, we've got some jobs where we will train you up for them, um, you know, give you the hours you need and that sort of thing. It's a start. Not everyone will take up the offer, but some will. And hopefully in time, others watching will think, yeah, I want a part of that as well. Mm. And um, for those who don't, we hopefully we can get their children uh, their children can look yep. across and think, yeah, I want to be like Billy's dad, you know, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. It is a really, um, it is a tough conversation. It's an awkward conversation. You've got to dance ever so carefully through your choice yeah. of words and phrases. Um, yeah, exactly. And and I've, just used the, I've just used the term bad behaviour and we know what sorts of things <laughs> we're talking about there. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And, and it's, you know, the... Uh, you, you heard me have a crack at an editorial to start with, which I, I just trashed because it was um, it was uh, you know not working. But uh, in it, um, and people wouldn't have heard it, I was basically talking uh, about the minefield or the the hair trigger um, with which accusations of racism are being cast around. And in such an environment, it's it's very hard to tell the truth and have an honest conversation about the real problems and and the real solutions. Anthony, we've been talking about alternatives to The Voice, but let's talk about The Voice itself as proposed uh, by the Prime Minister. And uh, I think uh, we on the right of centre are probably well rehearsed in the arguments uh, and our reasons why we think this is bad, Um, you know, dividing people, uh, and creating a, a racial class system in the constitution uh, is something that goes against all our values and, and instincts. Even if there's good motivations, it, it just seems mm-hmm. like a, a really poorly conceived idea. But Anthony, um, are we prosecuting the case as well as we should? Um, are we changing anybody's minds in the rhetoric and articles and commentary that uh, you're yeah. seeing a lot of? Look, great question. Um, I believe. We are changing some minds, but perhaps not as many as what could be. And I think that's because, you know, some of the commentators out there who are very uh, well rehearsed, very knowledgeable in their arguments, will give their arguments. And it's often to, I won't use the echo chamber term just yet, but, you know, with audiences where a majority of those people are already going to be on side. And it's easy just to preach to them. And I mean, just uh, yesterday I was speaking to a group of people uh, with another fellow um, spectator author yesterday. And, you know, we we picked up the vibe that the audience were largely no people opposed uh, opposed to the campaign. But I always try to keep my message simple. And I have in mind that I hope, I'm pitching my message to those who are sitting on the fence or have decided yes. 
um, or you know, at this stage, on in the yes camp, and you know, open to hearing another view. You'll get some yes people who will just you know won't even want to listen to you, um, and you know, you stand little chance with those. But for those who think, okay, I will listen to this person, I'll listen to Anthony and others. I hope that my my message does have some appeal where they might consider changing rather than clamping down even more strongly on their views. And so while I think some of the no people have got some good facts to say why the Yes campaign is such a a bad idea, uh, those facts strategies may not be convincing to the fence sitters or those who have decided yes. Uh, I think we, you know, just to talk about, you know, apartheid and that sort of thing, I don't think that's going to persuade anyone who's sitting on the fence. Mm. It is a it is a maturity that we need to develop and nurture in our own arguments uh, to actually consider very carefully and maybe listen very carefully to the people who are not yet in the no camp um, and and what would it take to change their mind and and I think. Um, you're right that a lot of us are assuming that what persuades us will persuade somebody else. And how can they not see what we've seen? And how can they not be persuaded by what is most objectionable and offensive to us in this question? Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's the mark of a very good thinker to really well understand the person that he disagrees with, perhaps even understand his own argument better than he does uh, in order to stand in the, his shoes and, and then uh, make a, a considered argument, not just to shoot bullets um, at each other across a, a no man's land, but to actually... Uh, or in some cases, throw grenades. Throw grenades, yes. Yeah. Um, and... And at the same time, you know, the whole social media thing is that most of the people listening are going to clap loudest when we throw a grenade and shoot a bullet. Um, <laughs> they're going to love the fireworks and the explosion and we're going to get the uh, the approval, the likes, the reposts, um, the, the shares and, and the attention, maybe even the donations uh, if, if we excite our own members a whole lot. But yet we're not, if we're not changing a single person's mind, was that a winning argument at all? No. Um, so I, I, I do, I do like the the advice. Tell me, um, uh, if you, if you want, um, let's let's play positive and negative, or or you pick the one you prefer to do. But you know, what are the worst arguments you've heard on our side, and what do you think are the best ones to actually get somebody who's on the fence and open to reason to change their mind? What's the worst, and uh, what's the best? I think the worst one is what I just referred to, you know, when you say that word apartheid, that conjures up all sorts of images, okay? And while technically it might be um, an apartheid-type situation, that sort of imagery, I think, will turn people off, okay? Um, so that's, have a, that's have a opposite effect than desired. Yes, yep, a rebound effect. Um, mm. So that's the worst. The, the best... Argument. So can I move on to what I think the best arguments are? Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, just simply that, well, yes, you know, we all want to help Aboriginal people and we want them to have a voice, but they already have 
a voice. And uh, if you could demonstrate to me, like Linda Burney has been claiming that, you know, they're without a voice. If you can demonstrate to me in what sense they're without a voice, I would seriously con consider coming on board with the yes people. Uh, but these people have had plenty of opportunity to state their case and they have not. So, um, you know, the best argument is I, when I speak to people, I say, look, as far as I can tell, unless you can show me otherwise, me, we, they already have voices, you know, the, the same as you. In addition, we have, Aboriginal people have um, government departments and services and specialists and that sort of thing. And I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm, you know, many of them do a good job, but they're already there as well. So the argument that they lack a voice just does not hold up for me. And so pointing that out, well, I think that's a good reason not to consider um, a voice. That would be the main How much... How much um, caution do you think we need to be publishing, uh, if not alarm? And, and I think caution and alarm is merited. Um, but again, the, the question really is what's helpful to articulate? Um, and that is the caution and alarm uh, that's merited around uh, the, the most nefarious of agendas um, that are taking mm -hmm. advantage of this referendum. People who are really looking for what's ultimately a separatist movement, a separate yeah. uh, sovereign Aboriginal nation. Do you, do you think it's it's helpful to highlight that this is a very real agenda there? Um, is it believable when we do try to articulate this, even though it's true? Okay, um, depends who you're speaking to, but I would say we could soften the approach and say, well, so far uh, what we're seeing in The Voice is an ide ideology that has been around for a long time, which has said that Indigenous people need this specialised service um, understanding because they're so vastly different. Okay? That's what's yeah. been around for as long as I can remember. Okay, <clears throat> And all that I can see is with the voice, it's only going to cement, reinforce that even further. And what, what you then get happening is this insistence that an Indigenous people should, an Indigenous person should only use an Indigenous service or listen to an Indigenous voice. And where, where this is most tragic, and again, this is a problem that was happening long before the voice come onto the scene, this ridiculous, stupid, dumb insistence that Indigenous kids in need of care should only be placed in Indigenous homes. Absolute nonsense. They should be placed in homes with uh, caretakers who are human, Australian. And who cares about the colour? We just want those caretakers to be loving, caring, nurturing, pro providing a safe environment, that sort of thing. But we, we get told, oh, no, you can't have that because that's robbing the kid of the, the culture. You know, often it's a culture that they never had to begin with. Yeah. But I just see the yeah. voice sort of going down that track uh, reinforcing that sort of thing where, um, you know, Indigenous people have got to follow this Indigenous line, um, which just doesn't help anyone. So that's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. the separatism. If you're uh, watching this show uh, close to the date that it's been published, um, you can come and meet Anthony Dillon um, and uh, listen to a speech by him 
as well as myself and Warren Mundine, Senator Pauline Hanson and Gary Johns uh, this Saturday night in Rubina. The details are in the link beneath this uh, episode on The Good Source. Head to goodsource.news and look for the Church and State Show episode 23.22 and uh, you'll find the link there. But that's uh, at Gold Coast Chapel um, in their coming ups page, coming up uh, events page. So head to the website for the Gold Coast Chapel and uh, you'll be able to have a look at that there. It's uh, great to see a Christian church standing up and speaking up uh, in the issues that uh, we're debating in the public square and um, making these these conversations um, helpful. Now, um, you can also jump onto the Good Source website to get the link to this fantastic book, The Spirit Behind the Voice. There's 17 chapters there that have been written by different authors. Um, and uh, chapter nine is a fantastic one written by a very handsome fellow called David Pello. And uh, I'm sure you will enjoy that nearly as much as you enjoy all of the others. Um, so head on to the uh, church and sorry, the Good Source website, goodsource.news, and you'll be able to get links to this event on Saturday night, as well as to get that book in the mail to you first thing next week. Um, Anthony Dillon, it's been uh, wonderful uh, talking with you. Thank you always for your uh, sober and calm uh, reflections on, on these important issues. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks, Dave. Looking forward to it. Well, that's it for this episode of The Church and State Show. Don't forget you can sign up to be a supporter and receive weekly updates at my website, davepello.com. Uh, and uh, if you're in Adelaide, head to the Church and State website to grab tickets for the coming conference that we're going to be doing in your city exactly one week before we go to the polls and vote on this referendum. That's churchandstate.com.au forward slash Adelaide. And uh, you'll be able to use the code GS20, GS20 to get 20% off your tickets. Make sure you grab those now. And we will see you in the next episode of The Church and State Show. I'm Dave Pello. God bless you and our nation. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future. 